0: What's up? What's up? This is Zach Boschman checking in. You're watching the Citizen Truth podcast, and we are so excited to have David Vine on the first episode. He's the author of The United States of War. It is uh, the third book in a trilogy, and he's also a professor at American University, I believe. So, um, David, let's get right into it. Why war? Why take on the empire? Well,
1: Zach, thank you, first of all, for having me. I'm really pleased to be here and excited for the conversation. Why war? Uh, the United States has been fighting wars. In, we're in our 20th year of consecutive war. And uh, I think, like many people in this country, I've been very disturbed, to say the least, by the past 20 years of war uh, that have been, to put it mildly catastrophic for the United States and and for the world, um, especially for the countries that where the wars have been fought, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, uh, Libya, Yemen, Somalia, there's so many countries, um, more than 24 countries where U.S. military personnel have been deployed, where U.S. military combat troops have been involved in combat since 2001. And I think we're at a moment in U.S. history where we have a choice whether we're going to continue this pattern of war, of disastrous war that has been harming the country and and the world in so many ways, or whether we're going to fundamentally transform how the United States engages with the world and transform both our foreign and domestic policy.
0: Awesome. So, you know, with our current situation, uh, I'd like you to elaborate a little bit more on uh, what are the present costs of war, because obviously with the all volunteer military right now, many of us are disconnected from foreign policy. So, you know, what are some of those current costs and how do we get uh, more people to pay attention to foreign policy?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I said a lot lot of people have been disturbed by these past 20 years of war, and and a lot of people have, uh, but especially in the past several years, the wars have largely receded into the background of people's consciousness, uh, especially younger folks who, you know, probably weren't alive, more than a quarter of the country now has no memory of 9-11 has no direct memory of 9/11. Um, they were either not born or were at a pre-memory age. Uh, and, and they were you know a significant proportion of the country wasn't alive during the height of the. US wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. A uh, very small percentage of the country has been deployed to fight in these wars or is a family member of someone who's deployed. So indeed, I, the, the, the costs of the wars, have largely not been felt by the vast majority of people, or at least people uh, don't perceive the impact of, of, of these wars, even though they have borne the costs. And let me just start with the, the financial costs. The U.S. wars since 9-11 have cost an estimated $6.4 trillion. That's trillion with a T. Wow. Six point four trillion dollars at $1 trillion is uh, hard enough to wrap one's mind around I can't even imagine one trillion (laughs) 6.4 trillion is is really incomprehensible that's money that the united states taxpayers have either spent or obligated meaning congress obligated it on our behalf uh to fight to to pay for these wars and that's 6.4 trillion dollars that could have been doing a whole lot of other other things rather than funding these really c- catastrophic, disastrous wars um, that have brought n- really nothing other than uh, you know, more violence, um, tens of thousands of US deaths uh, and hundreds of thousands in, in actually numbering in the millions of deaths in the, in the countries where the wars, have been fought four million in the five most violent wars where, where U.S. forces have fought since 2001, including Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, but that's 6.4 trillion dollars. Uh, for those who haven't felt the the effects of these wars, 6.4 trillion taxpayer dollars uh, could have been, of course, used to prepare us for pandemics. Could have been used to create a universal. Healthcare system to care for people uh, afflicted by pandemics or other illnesses that, of course, uh, afflict so many in our country. Our crumbling school systems, our crumbling infrastructure, public transportation. Um, it's six point four trillion dollars. It it you know has has occurred to me. It's a, it's a figure that should make us weep, um, given likely all the deaths that have resulted because of investments the US government has not made because they were investing in war. And I, I just, the last thing I'm sorry to go on so long, no but the, the, the last thing I, because you, you pointed to it, you know, th- there is no draft. There hasn't been a draft since the 1970s. And it, it strikes me frequently that if there are, uh, for people who are opposed to war, perhaps there is no greater priority in the United States than calling for a reinstitution of the draft. And it may seem counterintuitive, but but I think your your question points to the, the, the need, the importance of people feeling the effects of these wars that have been fought so far away. And if everyone in the country has an equal chance of being deployed to fight in these wars, perhaps more people would begin to care about them.
0: Definitely, I think that would definitely engage more people um, one thing you talk about a lot in the book, uh, which I don't think many people realize this, is I believe you said we have around 800 military bases around the world. Um, how does this military base infrastructure around the world uh, influence or relate to conflict?
1: Yeah, so the in, indeed, the United States today, again, something most people in the United States don't know, the United States has around 800 military bases in other countries in around 83 other countries and I say around just because the Pentagon has a list but it is notorious for being incomplete and leaving well-known bases off its list so I've been keeping a list now for more than a decade and my best estimate is around 800 bases in around 83 foreign countries and colonies and you know what, what are what are these Bases for? I think it's a a question that isn't asked often enough. Why does the United States have so many bases outside its own territory? The United States has far more foreign bases than any other country in the world. The U.S. possesses around 80 to 90% of the world's bases and more foreign military bases than any country, nation, people, or empire in world history. And basically, these have been part of the global scene since World War II. They are a policy of World War II and the early days of the Cold War. The Cold War has been over for three decades and this policy has not changed. There've been some reductions in the total number of bases, about half as many bases as at the end of the Cold War, but the total number of countries hosting US bases actually expanded dramatically. Uh, These bases, and this is the subject of my my second book, Base Nation, are are not surprisingly like war, uh, in in my mind, deeply harmful to not just the places where the bases are located, but again, to the United States, beginning with the money that could be invested in, for example, infrastructure in the United States, instead of building and maintaining this very robust infrastructure of bases abroad, um, that frequently are actually making war more likely. Part of the justification is that they deter enemies and they keep the peace, the evidence shows the exact opposite and we need only look at the last 20 years of war. These, this huge infrastructure of bases has made it all too easy to launch foreign invasions, to launch foreign wars. Th- these bases are the infrastructure of war and that's part of why I think we need a process to evaluate the need for every single base overseas. Uh, and to close any base that's absolutely not needed. Uh, The larger argument in my new book, The United States of War, I I, I go beyond just the past 20 years of war to look at the whole history of US wars, beginning with uh, the Revolutionary War and and to the present. Um, And I find that the the past 20 years of war are actually not exceptional at all, which was sort of my initial assumption. Um, In fact, the United States US military has been fighting a war or in some form of combat in all but 11 years in U.S. history, 234 out of the 245 years in U.S. history, the U.S. military has been involved in a war or some form of combat. And military bases, especially military bases abroad, military bases on other people's territory, have been an important foundation for this pattern of war and have made, again, made war all too easy.
0: Um, so, let's let's go back in time. Uh, you mentioned we've been fighting these wars uh, since our country's inception. Um, what role did forts or bases play in the colonization of the United States?
1: Yeah, an important question. Many people who, who look at U.S. bases abroad today forget that the first U.S. bases abroad were bases built on the lands of Native American peoples. Uh, they were U.S. Army forts built on Native Americans' lands and played a key role in the colonization that took the United States from a collection of 13 colonies on the eastern seaboard all the way across uh, the North American continent to the Pacific. U.S. B- bases abroad, ar- Army forts, were the what, what one historian has called the, the pry bar or the lever. Of colonization, they enabled the the conquest of Native American lands, and of course the the dispossession of millions of Native American peoples, the the deaths, the genocidal deaths, really in uh, across the continent of millions uh, and uh, untold suffering in the process.
0: So. Uh... You might have seen John Pilger's documentary, The Coming War on China, just recently uh, was made available uh, for free. So I recently watched it. Are you concerned that we might go to war with China in the near future? This is one of my greatest concerns. And just today I
1: was listening to the National Security Advisor, Anthony Blinken, making very, I see, I would say dangerous Statements and threatening statements uh, toward the Chinese government uh, that, that make it sound like he and and others are indeed contemplating war, which with China, which should really be unthinkable. It should be unthinkable that two nuclear armed powers, the two wealthiest nations on earth, uh, would go to war. Um, because a, a nuclear conflict, any conflict between the U.S. and China, would be. Would would make the catastrophic wars of the post 9/11 period potentially look small, which is truly frightening. You know, the, the, and I, I do not want to underestimate the immensity of the damage of the the post 9/11 wars. But I actually I think it's helpful to even think about war as as a policy option, how it it, it, it can remain a legitimate policy option for US policymakers after just the last 20 years of war is, is beyond me, it's, it's, it's really perplexing. Um, and and it's, it's part of what needs to change that, that people in positions of power can contemplate yet more wars after the US has been fighting wars that again, took somewhere around 4 million lives in the countries where the US has been fighting around 37 million people displaced in these countries, 37 million. It's the size of the state of California, or the size of all the residents of Texas and Virginia combined. Um, meanwhile, tens of millions of people injured, um, in addition to, of course, the financial costs and, and many, many other costs. The, the idea of, of, a, of a war between the United States and China and the, the leader of the Indo-Pacific Command, the part of the U.S. military responsible for the Asia Pacific and, and Indian Ocean regions. Similarly, it was making some very dangerous comments, threatening comments toward China. The United States surrounds China with hundreds of, of its military bases, hundreds of its military bases. Um, and China, meanwhile, has not used its military forces outside its own borders in decades. Um, I think we should pay very careful attention to its use of violence against Uyghurs, um, the Uyghur Muslim community, or its occupation of Tibet. Um, but if anyone is to be feared in this world, it is the United States because of this long pattern of, of launching aggressive, offensive, and again, again, disastrous wars. So I think, I, I think to, to say one last thing, I think preventing a war with China, preventing a war with China, and preventing a new and growing Cold War with China must be a major priority for anyone concerned about the peace and security of the United States and the world.
0: Um, One last question. Uh, I believe we've been at war continuously since 2001. Do you have any hope for peace right now, a lasting peace?
1: I absolutely do. I absolutely do for for a number of reasons. I I do think uh, the COVID pandemic has alone provided an opportunity To really rethink the priorities of of the nation and and the world, um, to to rethink how we think about security, to think, uh, to to see how we've been thinking about security in such narrow narrow military uh, means through such a narrow military lens, rather than thinking about our security in terms of our health, our education, our general well-being, um, that we need to transform how we secure the lives of people in the United States and and the world. And I see people in positions of power coming to similar conclusions. I I don't think this is just, you know, folks on the left. Um, There's really a a broad spectrum of people across um, the political spectrum uh, who have come to the conclusion that the United States has way too many military bases abroad, that the United States should begin closing bases abroad, this infrastructure of war, uh, and, and of course, should be getting out of the endless wars, bringing the endless wars to an end um, and preventing any new wars from uh, being launched by our government. Meanwhile, there are, there are people within the US military itself, the highest ranking, the highest ranking US officer in, in the military, um, the, gen, the, the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley himself has said, we have too much infrastructure overseas. We have to take a quote, hard, hard look at US bases abroad, um, because he, like many others, realizes that this is not making us more secure. In fact, it's undermining our security in a whole range of ways. So I I think there are many reasons. um, And I'll point to one last one, which is that people in the United States are sick of war. launching another large-scale ground invasion, like the Bush administration did, and like the Obama administration continued in the Trump administration, um, is just not politically feasible now. Um, People in the United States, and research polls show this, um, do not favor the use of, of U.S. military force in an offensive way. They favor its use only as a last resort. Um, so I think there are many signs that, that make me hopeful uh, that a that, uh, peaceful future is possible, but it is going to require work on the part of ordinary citizens, members of Congress, people who work for members of Congress, others who have a voice to stand up and, and demand that we end the endless wars. Um, and bring about peace rather than letting the people who control the military industrial complex to ensure that we just cycle from one war to the next, to the next, to the next.
0: David, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Make sure you get the book, The United States of War. Check out his other books. Thanks, David. Thank you so much, yeah. That It was really a pleasure. Zach Boschman here, co-owner of CitizenTruth.org. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Citizen Truth podcast. The intro and outro song is Enthusiast by Tours and is provided via the Creative Commons license. Please subscribe and check us out at CitizenTruth.org.